Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Trois, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays. Why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast, and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast, based on the subject matter. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes. As always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello and welcome back to Unhedged. This is Frank Trois and our guest this week is Daniel Strauss from Glassbridge in New York City. And we're continuing a far-ranging discussion uh, regarding distribution, productization, bespoke solutions. And Daniel, offline during the break, you, you were expressing a concern that potentially the conversation might be going slightly negative or, or, or have a dour outlook on things. But the, the question I would pose back to you is, it isn't at the end of the day, this change rather temporary? It, it sounds like big picture that platforms and firms such as yours are now in a position to reach a whole other level of investors that might have been before just not cost efficient for you to do. And, and, and even from a regulatory standpoint, not worth the effort to, to reach out to. Now you can. And, and at the end of the day, for the end consumer, which is the investor or Johnny Sixpack, isn't it beneficial that they actually have the ability to, to evaluate and choose strategies that, that firms such as yours are providing now? Well, I hope so. Uh, and, and hopefully they realize it. Uh, I think that uh, what we're seeing is a narrowing of the information asymmetry between the managers and, and the end investor. Not to say that in the past people had pulled the wools over the eyes of of uh, Johnny Sixpack, to use your catchphrase. Uh, but the reality here is that, uh, as you can see by uh, the flow of capital into various investment products, the disintermediation and the demand for transparency, knowing where their money is going and, and competing with a market that seems just to go up and up, um, you're absolutely right uh, that uh, that is taking place. Hopefully it's temporary, but I don't think that the demand by investors for uh, that transparency, that true alpha, good investments is going anywhere anytime soon. And where where do you see alpha actually being generated? We 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 had on on our uh, podcast uh, our mutual friend Robert Picard, and part of that discussion was discerning between massive platforms and infrastructure like Renaissance out on Long Island, where just from a technology standpoint, it's amazing that any arbitrage could exist, just given the significance of, of what they're able to achieve out there. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, you have investors like Carl Icahn, where alpha is being generated for the most part by just sheer force of personality. Is, is that really how things, I, I realize I'm generalizing, but is that really how things are starting to split where it's on the one hand, unless you have a massive infrastructure edge like Renaissance or Bridgewater, um, by default, you're going to have to be a personality guy. Uh, or, and is, is that what we're going to see going forward? Or is there something else there that we, we're just not aware of? As much as I don't like to say this in something that other people can hear, I actually agree with you, Frank. Um, <laughs> it, it's, the, it's the approach we take in, in the way that we think about the world. And, and I do personally, uh, this barbell approach, uh, while a lot of uh, computer driven strategies and, and quantitative strategies have suffered in the last year or so, the reality is that computers are better than humans at certain things. And at an absolute minimum, they can do a lot of things a lot quicker on a lot, a lot greater data set than humans can. And that will continue to create investment opportunities. It may be in different ways. It may require higher turnover, which it definitely is now as markets become more efficient. But there's no question that there's room for technology in, in computers in driving alpha on one end of the spectrum. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, in an arbitrage in, in its purest sense with a little more patience, and you mentioned guys like Carl Icahn, uh, true private equity, true value investing, where you invest in businesses that are disruptive, whatever soundbite that, that venture capital firms like to use, uh, there's really good investment opportunities there um, and what 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 the hard the hardest place to play I believe is really in the middle uh, where it's been very very crowded historically where there has been fee compression uh, where everybody has been for quite a long time so not that the robots are taking over anytime soon although we could use some help with certain things I do believe you will see a lot of strategies and alpha generated uh, by the computers by increased artificial intelligence on the one hand, and on the other hand, what I call true value and true investing, uh, finding value and genuinely investing, not just trading. And to your point, I, one of the segments that I, I like to refer to a lot, there was a great interview with Icon on CNBC when, when he was chasing, uh, well, not chasing, when, when he was taking a very uh, significant position in Herbalife. And he, he made reference to one of his main assets as a firm is, is the fact that he's technically permanent capital. So, you know, he's not in a position where he's got to be really sweating it quarter to quarter in terms of, okay, what are my LPs going to be thinking about? Um, and what was most impressive about that, I thought, was when, when even when he took the position in Apple, where, you know, here's a company that we all hold in high esteem, but even Tim Cook had to pay attention to Carl Icahn, recognizing that Icahn could just sit there and wait. You know, he can play the long game. Um, and, and again, I go back to the, the if, if it splits along those lines, then, then let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing on, on the fintech side, because now, now it sounds like if we, if we take that theme of fee compression and disintermediation, disintermediation even further. You, you've had some pretty good looks at some of the stuff going on in, on that side of the fence. And, and you know, what there do you see, you know, I, a lot of folks talk about this only being the second inning of fintech. I mean, what do you see now as the next three to five years of fintech? 
So that's that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, but I want to go back to one thing you started uh, to mention uh, when you spoke, which is this notion of permanent capital and and the way Ackman presented himself. Uh, that's really focused on alignment of interests, which is another thing that's come front and center uh, as investors become smarter, um, want more information, uh, and demand that transparency and alignment. Uh, permanent capital is obviously great as an investor because it allows you to think and and act uh, in in a very rational um, and patient way. But that alignment of interest is also something that's very important to investors. Uh, back to your question on fintech, uh, whether it's the, the second inning uh, or the third inning or the or the fourth inning, uh, I don't know that I, I'm in any position to give an opinion on that. All I can say is there are some really great businesses out there. Um, and valuations sometimes force me to scratch my head, but there are a lot of really good companies, a couple that uh, we've invested in and are looking at now, um, that do what, what I believe the iPad did, which is um, fulfill a need people didn't even know that they had. Uh, there's also opportunities for, for businesses that, whether it's B2B or, or B2C companies, and I've met with a lot of really great founders recently, that uh, aren't going to slow down. And these serial entrepreneurs have no problem uh, finding money to back them. Uh, So to some extent, that hurts uh, the hungry founder who's who's trying to scrounge to bootstrap their business. But there's a heck of a lot of good businesses out there and a lot of of opportunities for fintech businesses to to globalize and get all over the place. Daniel, what, what... I'm going to play devil's advocate with you on that, and and without mentioning names, we we can talk about um, one company that you and I are very close to. And again, I, I don't want to mention the company, but it it's now uh, a unicorn several times over. And what's interesting about that company is that they their Chinese competition has actually come here to the states. Their Chinese competition is. Uh, literally two, three blocks away from their offices, um, the, the American company's offices in California. And the and again, I'm, I want to play devil's advocate with you where high concept, you look at the company's model and you say, yes, it's great. You've got a great brand name. But the hard question is they have this incredible valuation but honestly, the underlying economics don't support that valuation. So there's a lot of analogies to the to the dot com era. And two things stood out to me. And again, I think you know who I'm referring to. One is the Chinese competitor is actually managing a business. They're they're taking the long view. They're taking the permanent capital view that that we need to make a profit on this. At the same time, the American firm, who's unprofitable, has an incredible valuation. They're now boxed in where their investors are saying to them, you need to IPO as quickly as possible. And I'm wondering if, 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 if again, without giving the name, if you could comment on that, because part of me is wondering relative to these fintech companies, how many of them are going to fall into that valuation trap where, you know, and again, this is so reminiscent to me of 2000, 2001, where how many companies did we know that, that didn't raise the funding they needed and or couldn't go public fast enough. And then they were just orphaned forever and, and couldn't do anything. Um, care to elaborate on that? So I'm agreeing with you twice in one day. Uh, this is definitely a record here. <laughs> we can end the interview exactly. now. <laughs> Quit while we're ahead. 
there, I really believe there are a lot of companies that fit into many of the categories you just mentioned. One where their foreign competition is coming knocking on their door and setting up shop down the block um, and giving them a real run for their money, no pun intended, uh, given the company we're discussing uh, or alluding to. Separate, separate and apart from that, uh, there are quite a few businesses with, with no real exit strategy. Um, and it is reminiscent of, of what happened sort of 20 years ago. Uh, that being said, it's a result of um, sort of euphoria and, and desire for pockets of alpha and places to invest and an abundance of capital chasing what, what, what has been not that many really, really good ideas or good ideas that haven't been monetized or good ideas that um, couldn't keep up um, after, after running out or exhausting their first mover advantage and low barriers to entry. So I think there are going to be a lot of those businesses that, that face issues as they look to um, take the next step and mature. Uh, it, it's sort of two steps, one step forward, two steps back. And I think there's going to be a big uh, skinnying out or thinning out of the herd. Um, and what, what you hopefully be left with is some really good businesses. Um, but if you think about the Silicon Valley episode where they talk about valuations and revenue, it's, well, if you need, if you grow revenue, you have profit. But who needs profit? We've got valuation. Uh, and I think that's something that's very, very much true. Uh, and you, people believe they can grow their way out of their problems. Well, Daniel, let's do this. I, I, I want to, if you can, can you indulge us in one more segment? Because I'd like to continue with that theme if possible. Sure. Happy to do it. Okay, perfect. So for our listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Daniel Strauss at Glassbridge and picking his brains to get his thoughts on what we should see over the next two to three years in all things, including fintech. We'll be right back. 